0: That job at a time where many of my friends were doing interesting, you know, but relatively narrow jobs taught me the importance of scope of responsibility. The day before I started Student Works, I was an 18-year-old focused on hanging on at school and partying with my friends. And then afterwards, all of a sudden, I was responsible for operating a multi-thousand dollar business. My biggest takeaway is put yourself in a spot, a job, a role where you have a really wide scope of responsibility, and that'll push yourself the most as a leader and in your development.
1: Welcome Really, really excited to be having just an amazing young leader on the podcast. Uh, Aline Banji is the chief of staff at Rogers Sports and Media. You know, just another one of those jobs, you know, who wouldn't love to be working at Rogers Sports and Media? You know, uh, they're big uh, shareholders in Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment and, of course, own the Blue Jays and Sportsnet. So, three huge properties, amongst other things, three huge properties that, that I, I know so many of you listening would be super excited about being involved. So, Aline walks through uh, his, his experiences at Student Works and his experiences at a consultant to get to the role that he has. And uh, really, a fantastically wise person. I, he's not even 10 years out of school and uh, and just just knocking out of the park. So. I know you're going to love this interview and uh, really, really take a lot out of it. It's incredible how wise Alim is. So I know one of the things we we joked about on the podcast is, and we talked about how talent acquisition is just so massively successful for successful leaders, and so. You know, really, our our podcast in many ways is is exactly about that talent acquisition and retention, sharing the stories of of amazing people in our program so people can go and say, wow, this is what I need. So if you know any young leaders, please share our podcast with them. Please send them to our website, studentworks.com. If you have any suggestions or any referrals, you know, any suggestions about the podcast or any referrals please send me an email, at studentworks.com. Any suggestions? And again, have yourself a fantastic day. I know you're going to love this podcast. Cheers. Aleem, I'm so excited that you're here joining us on the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much, Chris. So good to be here.
1: Yeah, no, it's really awesome. And I just know how big a role that, that you have, and, and frankly, how a lot of the big roles that you've had since leaving the program and leaving Western. And so I really appreciate, you know, just, just carving out some time for our young leaders and, and hearing about, you know, how do they go have a big future?
0: Absolutely, Chris. Student Works, as we've chatted on many occasions, was such a foundational, let's say, element in, in my development as an 18-year-old. and 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 you know, without that experience, I'm not quite sure I'd be where I am today. So it's my pleasure to give back well, in, in a very small way. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And so let's start with, you know, tell me about who you were before the program,
1: before going to Western, you know, who, who were you?
0: Sure. I was probably your your very typical high schooler, Chris. I loved my friends. I loved sports. I was always interested academically in school. And I think that's a huge part of what my parents instilled with me. But, you know, prior to joining the program and prior to going to Western, I, I characterized myself as, you know, your classic teenager, sort of getting by with school, and then just wanting to really spend time with my friends and play sports. And and up until that point, not a lot of responsibility in my life. And, and you know, as we get into student work, we'll talk a little bit about, you know, how that scope of responsibility was, was so vast and something that I've really kept with me, you know, through the journey. Yeah. Yeah. So what
1: do you still rely on from the program and what that experience meant to you?
0: Yeah. Well, as it relates to the program, I think that job at a time where many of my friends were doing interesting, you know, but relatively narrow job taught me the importance of scope of responsibility mm-hmm. and, the day before i started student works i was an 18 year old focused on you know hanging on at school and and partying with my friends and then afterwards all of a sudden i was responsible for operating a multi-thousand dollar business and my biggest takeaway is put yourself in in a spot a job a role where you have a, a really wide scope of responsibility and that'll push yourself the most as a leader and in your development, so, so I'd say that's my overarching takeaway. And then a few specific things, really around just accountability. That's probably the other big lesson of many that I took away from my time at Student Works. If a job wasn't done, you know, if your painter had an error or somebody else had an error, or quite frankly you had an error, you had to pick up the phone and take that client's call even if that's not necessarily you want something you want to do on a Sunday morning. So those are the two of many that you know stick out to me.
1: Yeah. And then I know as well, one of the things I'm always interested in is is I know you went to Ivy. How did having this experience before you went to Ivy kind of infuse your learning at Ivy? Did that make a difference?
0: I think it made a difference in in a number of in a number of ways. And I think Ivy is is really bred Sorry, it's meant to breed generalists in business, which is a good thing. And so if I think about every aspect of my time at Student Works from the interpersonal skills that I developed, having to knock on a door or pick up a phone or sell a family to allow me and my crew to paint them to the diligence of running a business and making sure my financials were tight to just time management. So I think in every aspect, it prepares you very well for Ivy. And many of my colleagues, peers, friends, and new folks that are coming into Ivy tell tell me that the first two weeks of Ivy are probably the most stressful time. But really, like I just put myself back into my my year one operator hat and yeah. you just got to get through it and grind. So in many respects, it prepared me and and, and got me ready for. What was an unbelievable experience at Western and at Ivy. And now I'm
1: sure as well, there are just times where you just get down and grind, you know, just the big roles that you've taken on. And we can, you know, start to talk about that. Like it just involves, you really want to do incredibly well in your life. You've got to get down and grind, right?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, what what I'll say now is, is a bit cliche, but you can't really have success without a ton of hard work. Yeah. And that was the first time when I was in the student works program where everything wasn't easy to me or came easy yeah. to me. And, and yeah. quite frankly, I'm, I'm very happy I learned that lesson at 18, because if I hadn't learned it at 18, I'm sure I would have learned it at 19 and 20 and onwards. Yeah. And so that experience there taught me that you're not going to be perfect at everything. You yeah. need to be very deliberate about where your strengths are, where your weaknesses are. And then, like you said, Chris, just really grind to to, to get to a point where you're going to work hard in the areas that you need to develop on.
1: I really love you pointing that out. I know uh, you went to Pickering College, a really great school uh, in Newmarket. We've had actually a whole group of alumni go from you know come from that school, and and so you've got, I'm sure you got elite marks. You know, you've got everyone can hear you've got strong communication skills. Yes, they improved, but someone like you. And most of the people in our program have never really, really been challenged, kind of knocked on their butt. And I remember one of our, another Western alum, one of our most successful alumni, Rick Eastwood, his father, when he joined the program said, oh, fantastic. I'm looking forward to you getting knocked on your butt a bunch, son. And and, and it's like, oh, wow. But, you know, at the time it, it occurred to him as... What, what's my dad mean? But but then he got oh good because I I get some bruises. I'm ready for the fight. That this, this is going to be tough in my life.
0: Yeah, and and Chris, that that's very similar to my experience. Except I I didn't have that, and I sort of just I'm trying to pinpoint my the first time I had it. But yeah, you know, I thought I'd be cruising with sales in winter and still able to party with my friends, and that wasn't yeah. the case. And and that's no slight on the program, right? That that I think is part of the magic of of developing. And and as an eighteen year old. When I told my story in third year at Western or at Ivy, when we began to recruit for for new jobs and new roles, you know, I just realized what a terrific story and and what a terrific life experience mm-hmm. that that was for me. and And not only to be able to tell the ups and downs of trying to run a small business when I was eighteen, but also the parallels it taught me in 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 maturity and and just how I needed to be a better friend. Brother, son, et cetera, you know, not, not to overstate its importance, but I think yeah. it really kickstarted a, a number of those lessons uh, well, in my it- life.
1: Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where we really love to say, hey, where we show up in one area of our life will show up in others. So I really believe the same thing as as we learn to show up better as a business owner, you know, again, we should look to show up better as a brother, as a son, you know, and all these other roles that we have and that level of integrity we put into our business will show up in other places, you know, if we see the focus. And again, that's something we coach in our program and obviously something that you're still caring for the, for today. So one of the great things is, you know, when you go to Ivy, it's a great program. There's a lot of of organizations looking to recruit the talent out of Ivy. So what had you interested in going into consulting?
0: It really was, candidly, Chris, an extension of the learning. So for me, when I went into Ivy in the third year of, of, of my time at Western, I didn't really have you know, a a particularly keen interest in I want to do management consulting, or I want to do investment banking, or I want to do marketing. For me, really, I grew up a a, a massive sports fan. And I went to this uh, conference, the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference, when I was in third year, which you may have heard, and, and it was actually one of the earlier years. And I remember thinking, wow, all of these really smart, people have these jobs that are at the intersection of business and sports and Hey, I, you know, I go to Western for business and I'm a huge sports fan, you know, how do I get up there? And, and I really looked at, at the group of leaders up, up, up on that stage and saw either they were ex players or athletes, or, you know, they had done something really interesting. And when I tell, you know, my peers, my friends and, and other, you know, younger students and leaders, how I got into consulting, I, I sort of really backed my way into consulting, because I thought it would deliver an extension of learning that I had at Ivy. And for me, that was, you know, I was fortunate enough that, that consulting did give me that experience. I, right. I learned probably three, you know, core skill sets that I would take away from my, my time at consulting, the first of which is a real focus on structuring business problems how to analyze unique business situations, whether you know, you're know you working one day in financial services, the next day you're working in ambulance manufacturing. And right. so for me, it really taught me how to approach different industries and business problems with the structured framework, number one. Number two, it taught me, and it gave me the opportunity to learn from a series of leaders that were top notch and yes. different leaders, and this is probably you know, something I took from student works and, and something subsequently I took from consulting is the importance of interpersonal skills. Yeah. And then number three, working at a small consulting firm, it was like back to my student works days. I was on the management team, helping to sell, helping to recruit, helping with firm operations. So that's a little bit about why I got in consulting and and, and some of the takeaways.
1: One of the reasons why we like to ask this question is just what had you moved? You, you went from Stratova Partners and then you went to, you know Satov uh, consultants. So, what had you move? What 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 interests you in making that change?
0: Yeah. So, from my time at Strativa to Satov, I I think this is another lesson in you know in perseverance. So, for me, I initially wanted to work at one of the big three management yes. consulting firms, and and it didn't work out for me. And so, I, I took a chance on a relatively small business in Strativa, which had a value proposition that was Trying to bring, you know, elements of investing and consulting together, and work with some really smart individuals. But ultimately, I wanted to do a bit more of the traditional consulting mind. Sorry, consulting consulting role. And okay. so back to my comment on wanting to get into the industry to learn a uh, learn a bunch and work with a number of uh, a number of companies. And the experience at Satov was much more like. A traditional consulting role where you know I'd work on a number of different projects in a number of different industries, and so for me, that was being really open and honest with with my uh, leadership group at Strativa to say, you know, this is not necessarily what I'm looking for, and they helped me make the transition. And so that that was really the story between the two.
1: Fantastic. And then. One of the things is we have a bunch of people in consulting, know a lot of consultants. One of the challenges about consulting that I've heard, and I just love your takeaway, is that, you know, first of all, consultants are incredibly smart. And sometimes they recruit people who are incredibly smart and maybe don't show all their personal skills sometimes and are very difficult at times. And the projects are really demanding. People don't get enough sleep. And so it can be very difficult for a young consultant working. How did you manage that if that was true at all for you?
0: Yeah, it's absolutely, you know, sometimes stereotypes are true for a reason. I think that's an experience that myself and many of my peers, not only at Satsop, but but across the consulting world as a whole went through. And so I'd say a couple of things were unique about my experience, the managing partner, at have actually worked at another larger consulting firm and aimed to you know, start a business that was a bit more hands-on. Okay. And so that mindset, I think, is something that I learned a lot from about you can be the smartest individual in the room and often you're 21, 22, making money that you never thought you'd be making, advising senior leaders. And you can think, you know a lot about that, but you've never walked a mile in those shoes. Yeah, And that helps really start the importance of recognizing the role of interpersonal skills when you're dealing with clients. One of the things that I've learned from working with a number of different folks in consulting is if your client likes you, they're more likely to think about, they're more likely to listen to you, trust you, and then your whole your whole life gets easier. Yes. And... I think that all starts from knowing that you're there in a position to actually help. Yeah. We had a saying advice is valuable, but help is better. And so to answer your comment on interpersonal skills, that's probably one of the biggest takeaways I've I've had in my career to date is is the role of those interpersonal skills in driving change. And that's ultimately what the role of a consulting firm is. If you are trying to help somebody double their business, you need them to, to trust your advice so that it's not just an expensive 100 pieces of paper, but it is a change in how they're acting to execute on the strategies you, you've laid forward. So that's number one. Number two about managing the workload and how do you get through that? I think it's a real issue. Oftentimes as a junior consulting analyst or associate, you don't have a lot of ability to push back because of circumstance. Yes. You often think if I, if I say no or I push back, Then I'm I'm not a team player. I'm not hardworking. I don't have that quote unquote grind that we talked about a couple of minutes ago. Yes. And number one, I think better cultures will will have leaders who can acknowledge that. And for me, I've been fortunate enough to work with a couple of great leaders who helped me understand that balance between grind and useless grind. I guess maybe I'll call it that. And so if you can get a leader like that, it's really important to stay close to those types of people, even if you're not working with them directly, chances are they're going to be able to give you some really tangible advice in a scenario where you may not have a leader like that. Yes. And then number two, for me, one of the things that I've always taken away is I've I've worked with leaders on both sides of that. So there were certainly instances where I was working or quote unquote, grinding 13 hours, 14 hours a day seven days a week. And I, and I was just shaking my head, like, what am I doing here? And I vowed to myself that if, and when, and and when I got on the other side of that, I was going to be very conscious so that if Chris, you were on my team as, as a new grad, you would know that when Aleem said, Hey, we really need to get this done. I'm not just saying that because it's easy. I'm being thoughtful about what needs to get done when, and for me that, you know, that built a lot of trust. I
1: love what you had to say about because one of the things a lot of times in these consultancy groups or whatever, like there's multiple partners and there's some who they're all amazing or they wouldn't be partners and some who may not be as interpersonally strong. And so going to the other person and kind of looking to sort of how may you handle this? Oh, this is how you should handle it or whatever is a really great thing and looking to do that. And again, not making them wrong, right? Not making oh, this is Bill's. Jo- Bill's a bad guy. No, no, no. Just hey, I'm just you know kind of doing this, and just asking for advice is a really great space.
0: I totally agree. And then, and as you mentioned, Bill may not be the best interpersonal, quote unquote, leader, but there are other things you can learn from Bill, whether it's analytics, yes. how they approach, you know, their industry yeah. knowledge, et cetera, and so. While you're in consulting, my advice is to soak up all the learning you can, because 90 plus percent of folks in consulting use it as a, as a springboard for other roles in their career. And so wouldn't it be a shame if because you didn't like so-and-so, you didn't try and extract every ounce of, of knowledge for you going forward?
1: Exactly, exactly. And it, so it's one of those things where, you know, many times consultants are looking at you know, of course, some of them love it and want to stay and it's totally the, their thing. But many times it's when do I leave? At what point can I get the opportunity that I want? And can I get out at a director level or a VP level or whatever it is and when? And so we talked earlier, obviously, about your interest in sports. So how long or, or were you targeting Rogers, or how did that play out?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. No, I, I wasn't necessarily targeting Rodgers. Okay. Uh, for me, I was. A little bit of that in between you characterize, I think there's a natural exit point in consulting for folks who join right out of school of the two to three year window where you can go into a number of structured roles. Let's say on the other end of the spectrum, you can try to stay and become a partner. And I was somewhere in between where yes. I'd been with the firm for a long time, upwards of seven years and was joining the management team and and had a real role in firm operations. But for me, I think it was at that point in my career where I decided that I wanted to do something that was a little bit more hands-on and, and, and focused on a singular industry. Okay. And it's funny, the, the my love of sports and my intellectual curiosity around the media and sports business was at an all-time high, but I hadn't necessarily put that together at that point. When I had made okay. the decision to leave consulting, I was looking for maybe two or three different criteria. The first is, is there an industry that I find incredibly stimulating, exciting, intellectually challenging, number one. Number two, back to my comment on why SoonWorks program was so good, was is this somewhere where I would have a a wide scope of responsibility and have a lot of impact? And then number three, was I working with a leader and a team that I really admired and could learn a ton from at that point in my career. And so that was my simple decision criteria that I shared with many on, on how I approached the new job. And then, and then serendipitously, the Roger sports and media opportunity came up to, to to start leading the strategy team there and building on what I thought was just a phenomenal set of assets and and the rest is history. Yeah, no,
1: that's, well, that's fantastic. And I, I love all of those three things. I love this, you know, especially you know, finding a mentor, finding somebody that you know. a lot of times people miss that, you know, finding somebody. Uh, it's so great when we get those really great mentors and continuing to see that. And I can see that, that you found that in your, in your career so far, which is awesome. So tell us about that first role you had at Rogers, Director of Strategy and Business Development. What did that mean or, you know, of what you can share? What were you doing? What were the goals of the role?
0: Yeah, so I, I think there was um, a desire to build a team that would help drive strategic initiatives broadly in, in our strategic roadmap, and, and I'll get into what that means a little bit, in a little bit, but then also to just really help with an execution lens across major projects in the business. And for those who may be less familiar with Rogers Sports Media as in, in the aggregate, we operate a number of let's say, non-sports media brands. So a bunch of radio stations, a bunch of non-sports television stations, including City TV and FX, a home shopping network. (laughs) And then in our strategic focus areas, Sportsnet, uh, which is a live sports broadcaster, uh, the number one in the country. And then we we have ownership stakes in the Toronto Blue Jays and MLSC. And and so that's a pretty diverse business with a number of different skill sets required. And I think, There was a desire for us to build a team that would help set the strategic direction of the business and then also implement and help execute in partnership with the different business units, a number of strategic projects. So for me, I came in in my first year there at a time where we had a new president and we joined about a week apart, Jordan Banks, who is a phenomenal leader and has been a great mentor and friend to me you know I consider myself fortunate to work so closely with him on a day-to-day basis and and as part of his first 6 months we took a look at the strategic direction of our business specifically you know what are the assets we have in a space and world where so much is changing every day where do we think we can win where do we need to you know defend our position and and that was really the focus for me and 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 what a terrific way to start my time in sports and media yeah is I got to talk to industry experts and, and you know, that's one of my key learnings is you got to talk to people who are way smarter than you in the space and who have spent more, way more time. And so we immersed ourselves in understanding, you know, where do we think this business that has so many great assets can win and invest in? And then from there, what are the three or four strategic imperatives for us that are going to allow us to succeed in a world that is changing so rapidly every day? Fantastic. So then,
1: as part of a large company, you've got strategy, and then that strategy is given to the more the directors, the VPs to go and implement.
0: Is that the? Yeah, broadly, I think so. I think i I think I would just nuance it in a couple ways, Chris. For me, strategy doesn't sit at the top of the business. Strategy needs to really be developed with a collaborative mindset. And so I would say top, you know top to bottom, bottom to top, everybody had a say in, in how we should think about the strategic prioritization of our business. And then right. I think good strategy, you know, cascades from strategic priorities or imperatives into specific tactics. Right. And different businesses are responsible for, for different elements of our strategic imperatives and tactics. And for us, what we found incredibly powerful is this notion of single points of accountability. Mm-hmm. And as we, Develop strategic imperatives. We need to take that down into. Hey, Chris, you are the leader of the sports net business. You know, sports betting is becoming a huge, huge thing. um, You know, will will become a huge part of our focus. And so, Chris, it's your responsibility to own that, and you can take Aleem, and Matt, and Jenny's help to to develop the strategy. But ultimately, you know, here are the KPIs, and you're the you're the point of responsibility. And so, I think. With strategic planning, it's really important to spend a lot of time understanding where you want to invest and where you want to, you know, maybe not invest as much. And for mm-hmm. me, strategy is, you know, saying a whole lot of no's so you can say a f- few big yes. yeses. And yes. then taking that and making sure that you empower the leaders with a, to have accountability, but then measurability. And for us, yeah. that's really been our focus.
1: I love it, you know, and certainly as a young leader, not very good at, at saying no. But that is what the best leaders say is no, no often, no often, no often, no often, you know, right. just uh, and it's so hard to do. Because, and even I'd, I'd imagine even harder for a great company like Rogers that has so many opportunities. So,
0: yeah. And I think know. folks are just ambitious. Chris, when, when you know, if I, if I brought you three ideas to grow student work, so you're an ambitious entrepreneur. Your yeah. eyes are going to light up. And, and sometimes. Yes it's flashy and sexy, and, but, but you really need to sit down. And, and I think great, you know, a great strategy or strategic process is one where I can bring you the flashiest idea and you can sit and digest it and say, okay, Liam, that's not on strategy. And so I shouldn't pursue that yeah. with one caveat. And, and that is, you know, one of our clients said to us one time in consulting, I love you, but I I won't follow your strategy out the window. So if I told you, you could make hundreds of millions of dollars doing, I don't know, coin cleaning, you know, you may, (laughs) you may want to look at that, but, but for the 99.9% of times or 99% of times, it's really important to have that strategic framework. So you can say a bunch of no's.
1: 100%. And then you've moved to, uh, you know, recently, I guess the last year, year and a half to chief of staff. So what does that role mean? And what does, what does that include?
0: yeah. so um I would characterize it as a soft transition. And Chris, I bet if you had twenty five Chiefs of Staffs up here, they would probably describe twenty five different Dif- roles. That's on. actually what i was what what I was thinking. <laughs> so yes, yes. so I, I I had heard of Chief of Staffs and even had known a couple of folks uh, in my network that were Chief of Staffs, but never thought of taking that role. So for me, what that entails and and I think it was a really nice transition because, I felt a lot of ownership over our corporate strategy is really to make sure that what we call Project St. Clair as, as our strategy is is being executed in every way. And so my role is to make sure our leadership team is focused in the right areas, and there's accountability for that execution. And and very simply, that's my role. Right. And additionally, what I also am fortunate enough to do is is help focus on a a couple of strategic projects that our team continues to help drive forward. So it's it's a little bit of those two. And and I think what makes a great chief of staff and chief relationship, uh, for lack of a better term, is I kind of trust. And this is where Jordan lets me run a bit free with my time because he knows that I'll use my time in a way that maximizes value for the organization. And so, my role is to be honest, transparent, and drive the you know the core imperatives of Project Sinclair forward. That's so exciting to be where
1: you are. A huge part of being able to take this role is all your consulting experience. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, I I would say I would say the consulting experience has been a huge part. It it really brings together the ability to take a view on you know as I talked about maybe ten minutes ago any different business problem and have a structured framework to put it together, which is something I learned in consulting. But but most importantly, I think it's having a set of interpersonal skills that I learned in consulting that I learned at student work that I learned from just having a really strong network of friends and peers around me that will drive change. Because I think one of the things I've realized as I left consulting is strategy is the easy part. Right. It is, it is the easy part. It it feels good and it it's intellectually complex and and sometimes it requires you to stay up to 2 a.m. But yeah. really it's 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 the execution part. And and execution, one of the things I've learned about execution, it is in large, large part about interpersonal skills and the ability yeah. to drive change.
1: Yeah. And culture, you know, interpersonal skills and enrolling people, et cetera. And again, I can see where again the student works experience getting such a head start on that as an 18, 19 year old, you know, making such a difference. So we've been talking about a lot of, you know, um, wins, you know, any failures or mistakes and, and, and how did you learn from those?
0: Yeah, I would say in terms of just themes of failures or mistakes, I found that for me personally, as I reflect back on some time at every point in my career or every role, excuse me, that didn't necessarily go well. So if I think about times at student works where I was just stalling and things weren't good, and I wasn't being as profitable in businesses or in consulting where I wasn't happy and felt like we were just bashing our head against the wall. I think it's a learning that oftentimes you know or recognize something is going wrong even before you action it. You just have that feeling in your gut that this isn't working or I'm making mistakes. So if I think about my student works example, which may be most relevant for the audience of this podcast, is My painters were not happy. They they weren't making as much as much as they felt they should. I wasn't making as 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 much as as I felt I should on a series of jobs and, and I let that go on for too long. Yes. And it's very easy back to instilling good habits to just not really shake up what you're doing because routine is easy. And what I've learned is you just take on way more risk and continuously sort of dig yourself into that hole. And it happens so slowly and gradually. And, and what becomes a, you know, maybe an easier problem to fix, like say in this very tactical example, I wasn't quoting Project Strong or yeah. I, I wasn't doing this. It's now there's three or four issues and these issues compound. So my biggest takeaway from failures or instances where I've had failures is it never felt right to begin with. And I just let it go. I don't know if it's because I hadn't liked conflict, and I'm, I'm learning to embrace conflict more, or it's hard to, to shake things up. And so yeah. when you know, you know, and you need to take action early.
1: Yeah, well, I think because you're human, Aleem. Uh, so, so I think it's, what are we pretending not to know? How are we lying to ourselves or not telling ourselves the truth or kind of not really owning up? That is such a, that's such a great example. I just love that. I haven't heard that ex- example on our podcast. This is entering our fourth year. So, so I just love that example. Um, and it, and it's, we always need to be watching out for ourselves to do that. And, you know, just that gut feel is such a great feeling uh, to sort of listen to. So what did you need to change about yourself, you know, going from that, you know, graduating Western to being a, a full-time value creator?
0: I think that I needed to, to realize that value creation, as you put it, it, it requires trade-offs. I wasn't going to be able to um, do all of the things that I used to. And and when I was pre-student works and post-student works, it's just a reality of hard work. You know, you think you're going to have it all immediately and you're just not. I think success you realize is is, is dialing, dialing it up and dialing it down. And, And there are times where, I'm going to be incredibly slammed at work, whether I'm doing student works, whether I'm doing consulting or whether I'm at Roger Sports and Media. And then there are times where I'm going to prioritize. And so this is absolutely not to say that, you know, to be a value creator, you need to throw away everything in your life, no. but you need to have a ton of discipline in how you approach that. And so the biggest thing I needed to change in my life is this notion of discipline and, and something that student works set a framework and foundation for me to, to, to to go out and and learn. And and I'm, you know, to this day, I'm still trying to find that right balance of how do, how do I make it all home?
1: You know, again, I think, I think my sense of it always is, I think there's always an opportunity for tweaking. There's always an opportunity for, you know, there's an ebb and a flow, you know, make sure I'm not crushing it for too long, because then I'm going to, I'm going to break something, you know, my relationships, my health, you know, you know, that sort of thing. So it's, it's like always, going back to that. And on the other hand, you're right. If I want to be successful, putting in that extra time is going to make a difference. And also there's an excitement. There's usually there's periods of time where like there's a big project, there's something you're really working on that's really going to make a difference. Well, of course, you're going to want to do that. So so it's finding that space. So what about key habits, any key habits that our young leaders would want to steal from you?
0: Yeah, for me, um, maybe I'll start with, um, just a a micro tactical one is I just, I use a to-do list. I'm old-fashioned. I I write a to-do list every, every single day of the things that I need to get done. And for me, one of the things I've learned is often when I have a lot going on and young leaders tend to have a lot going on is I don't want to let myself get overwhelmed by thinking, oh, I need to prep for Chris's podcast and I need to do this email and I need to do this, uh, you know, I need to get back to this person, et cetera, et cetera. And then and you, you lose a lot of mental energy um, yes. by not doing that. And so for me, that was a very deliberate way of, of managing that. So that's number one. And then for me, the, the, the second piece of habit, like sorry, the second habit that I've I've learned is we're always going to be really busy. You need to make time for a couple things that matter most in your life and and just make things work around that. And for me in consulting and, and even now at Rogers sports and media, I know I need to work out. I know I need to take a night or two a week to, to spend time with my girlfriend or to hang out with my friends and, and just plan around that because that is how you avoid burnout. And it's going to be different for every person. So what works for me is going to be work different from you, Chris. And, and a lot of the times when I was when I was spoken to about work life balance, it seems like very structured, like, Oh, work life balance means that you're not working to 10pm more than three days a night, like that's, that's not work life balance. Work life balance is making sure that you know what you need at different points in your time. Yeah. And you may need to do something totally different than me, but it's, it's understanding what you need to do and just make sure that 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 you're able to do those on, on on a regular basis.
1: Yeah, I love that. Just here, I need these things to support me being the healthy person I, I am. You know, friends, family, you know, if it, it's physical activity, whatever it is, these are the things I need and it's different for everyone. Just love that. So final question, Eileen, when you think of a leader of tomorrow, what comes to mind?
0: a couple of things. The first one is humility. The greatest leaders that I've worked with are ones that can understand what they need from their team and, and are, are the first to you know push credit outwards when something good happens and, and take it on themselves. And every single leader that, that I've seen be really successful has that quality. And then number two is talent acquisition. One of the things that I've learned, and, and Chris, you you know, you know, probably live this every day. Your whole business yeah. is finding time young time leaders. Finding and young Aleems. So <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not young 18-year-old Aleems. I know.
1: And by the way, just you know, we actually recruit way less 18-year-olds now. Way more you know, 19, 20, 21-year-olds when they come into the program just because of exactly what you experienced. You know and just, just letting them you know mature have the the life maturity as well as uh, you know as, as as you know just the experience of, of multiple years in the program so it's uh, so that's a great example so talent acquisition is so huge and and you know just that humility it, it's it's something that comes out often jim collins talks about it level five leadership right level five leadership any of our leaders you can just google jimcollins.com. And, and, you know, that's really what a, a level five leader is, you know, no, it's always about the team. It's always about other people. And candidly, it is because as you were talking about earlier, you know, you can't execute all these things without incredible buy in from all the teams. So it's not about a lead, you know, it's it's about the entire team. And of course, you're part of that team, but it's about the whole team.
0: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, Chris. And the qualities of great teams start with the ability to have great leaders underneath them. So, so yeah, I, I, I think that was very well said.
1: Yeah. Fantastic. Well, again, thanks so much again, just so awesome. It's, you know, I know we've talked on the phone a number of times over it. by the way, it takes quite a while to get somebody like Aleem uh, to do a podcast or oh. sorry to arrange around your crazy <laughs> schedule, by the way, which is totally great. But I know we've talked on the phone. It's great to see you. Uh, you're looking wonderful. And so we will stay in contact, continued success. And uh, and again, thank thank you so much.
0: Thanks so much for having me, Chris. It, it was great catching up.
1: Okay, cheers.
0: You're All right, take care.
1: Hey leaders, I hope you enjoyed this episode. By now, you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further the development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down their path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.